Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, sounds like Wellington at the moment, um, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. Apparently that's how the ad read that went in the Times of London by Ernest Shackleton as he prepared for his trans-Antarctic expedition. I mean, really, if anything, Shackleton was honest, right? We'll give him that. He didn't sugarcoat it, he told them how it was before they began. Uh, The trans-Antarctic expedition was going to be gruelling, it was going to be long, and it was going to be difficult. And knowing that from the beginning uh, was going to be essential if these men were to make it to the end. Being honest about the challenges that lay ahead, that was the key for them to be prepared. Uh, As our series in the book of Hebrews comes to a close, uh, last week uh, the writer was honest about the road that lay ahead for those who trust and follow Jesus. We were told what it's going to be like. And we were told it's going to be a race of endurance to the end. There'll be many hazards there to trip us up. This sin that so easily entangles, he said. There'll be burdens that weigh us down. There'll be hostility towards us. Like Jesus suffered, we, his followers, would suffer as well. There were challenges that lay ahead, a hazardous journey. And this week we get a picture in the final chapter of Hebrews. uh, We get a picture of the kind of church that makes it to the end. The kind of church that endures to the end of this marathon of life spent trusting and following and serving the Lord Jesus. And it's a great thing for us to consider as a church, even if we can't all be together, what kind of church ought we to be? What kind of church ought we to be if we're not going to be a church that shrinks back, if we're going to be a church that keeps going to the end, if we're going to, as Hebrews says, hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess? Well, here in the final section of Hebrews, we're given two vital marks of a church that endures, of a church that makes it to the end. Firstly, they are a church that listens to Jesus. And secondly, they're a church that worships through Jesus. First, they're a church that listens to Jesus. Secondly, they're a church that worships through Jesus. So first, a church that listens to Jesus. We see this uh, mostly uh, in chapter 12 uh, that we had read for us, uh, verses 14 to 27. Uh, And at the very beginning, we get this uh, little glimpse in verses 14 to 17. We get a little glimpse of a few things that were going on in the Hebrew church. Uh, First, we see that they're exhausted and at risk of giving up. Chapter 12, verse 15 Uh, Verse 15, see to that no one falls short of the grace of God. They'd run the race, they'd started well, but following the battles and the struggles of the glory years, they're, they're now feeling a bit bruised and fragile. They're exhausted. And this church is at risk of giving up. Secondly, they're growing resentful. Uh, and in danger of refusing God's word. Again, in verse 15, it continues. Uh, uh, it says, To see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. They're growing resentful and in danger of re- resisting God's word. That bitter root there, it has nothing to do with kind of uh, waking up and just feeling a bit cranky with each other. Uh, that root of bitterness is something that grows in a congregation that refuses Uh, to listen to God's word, it references back to the book of Deuteronomy. There's a a growing bitterness there that might stop them from trusting Jesus' word. 
And the third thing we see that's going on in this church is that they're becoming a bit impulsive and a bit short-sighted. Verse 16 there in chapter 12. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. What's going on in this church is that some people are, are wanting immediate gratification rather than eternal glory. They want uh, toys and joys, thrills and spills, pleasures and playthings, and they want it now rather than glory that God has promised later. And that's just a little thumbnail sketch of where this church is at. It's exhausted and at risk of giving up. It's becoming resentful and uh, in danger of refusing God's word. And it's becoming vulnerable by being impulsive and short-sighted. And if this is where they remain, Hebrews says they will never make it to the end. You see, the whole of Hebrews uh, concludes by giving us these two vital marks of a church that makes it to the end. Firstly, they need to be a church that listens to Jesus, that listens to God's word and responds. Uh, Secondly, they need to be a church that worships through Jesus. A church that worships God acceptably. So a church that listens to Jesus is a church that makes it to the end. Uh, Now this section, uh, uh, it's the mark of a church that completes the race. Uh, This section, uh, verses 14 to 27, it splits into three short parts. Uh, There's a shared responsibility, there is a joint privilege, and there is a day of corporate accountability that we're all heading to. And it's all summed up there in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Uh, now we saw this last week of, uh, in a few chapters back in verse 10 that the Hebrews have a shared responsibility. Uh, Hebrews is addressing uh, not just individual Christians but a small church, a community. Uh, now the church uh, was probably not much bigger than any of the community groups we have in our church uh, which is kind of fitting. Uh, the, the church of the, of the Hebrews was probably no bigger than the group that you have in your living room at the moment or here in Tory Street. Uh, it wouldn't have been any bigger than that. And so what's being said in verse 25, see to it that you together do not refuse him who speaks. It's this corporate responsibility we have. That little command, see to it, at the beginning of verse 25, it's littered throughout this section. You've probably seen it a few times there. See to it, it could be translated as oversight. Uh, in one version, it has make sure that. And what's being said to this little congregation is have oversight for one another. Exercise a shared responsibility for each other. Together, make sure that no one gives up. Together, make sure that no one is becoming resentful. Together, make sure that no one is becoming impulsive and short-sighted. Together, make sure you keep listening to God's words. And it's a real challenge for our individualistic world, isn't it? We want to respond selfishly like Cain, and we want to say, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, We don't want to be responsible for someone else. And we certainly don't want anyone being responsible for us and butting in and telling us what to do and how to do it. We want to be independent. We want to go it alone. But I actually reckon that independence streak that we have, it speaks more about our pride and our lack of love for others than anything else. And Hebrews is telling us here that the church that does not give up, the church that makes it to the end, is a church where all of the members are engaged in a shared responsibility for each other. A shared responsibility to make sure we keep on listening to God's word. 
And it's not just the paid staff or the recognised leaders. All of us have the responsibility corporately for those around us to make sure we're listening to God's word and to make sure we're making it to the end. That's the challenge there in verses uh, 14 to 17. It's also the motivation for what follows in verses 18 to 24. The motivation is that we share a joint privilege. Uh, We share a joint privilege, and that privilege is that we are gathered together with all of the Lord's people in the presence of God. Uh, And to show us this privilege, privilege, Hebrews sets up a contrast between uh, the people of Moses' day and for us today. Uh, And we see that in verse 18 and uh, verse 22. Look in verse 18, it says, You have not come, and then verse 22, but you have come. And there's comparison here, it's carefully chosen. See, what Hebrews is doing is it's the old covenant and the glories of the new. Uh, His point here is that things have radically changed with the death of Jesus that that death speaks a better word. Have a look there in verse 24. Verse 24, you have come, verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's saying, remember Abel? He died because he sought acceptance with God. But Jesus... He died achieving acceptance with God for us. Therefore, remember, as you come to Jesus in his word, remember what you have come to. Remember, we're not like the Israelites. When they came out of Egypt and they gathered around Mount Sinai, they had a tangible mountain there. Yes, they had a mountain they could touch. Yes, they had a visual experience there. There was burning fire with darkness, gloom and storm. Yes, they had an audible word there, a trumpet blast and a voice speaking words. But as they gathered around that mountain, having escaped Egypt, as they met the living God there, it was so terrifying. They literally had to beg God not to speak. Verse 19 again. They heard a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. They had approached God in his holiness and his purity and his unapproachable majesty And it terrified them. They were gripped with fear. And so their inability to meet with God, to have access with God, to be in God's presence, uh, it was clear for them all to see and to feel and to hear. And even Moses, verse 21, Moses was so terrified that he said, I am trembling with fear. That was the old covenant. God was so unapproachable. But we, because of the better blood of Jesus, we have been brought together to a different mountain, to a different city, to a different gathering of God's people. We come to a gathering and we come to a gathering that this this gathering at Mount Sinai was ultimately pointing to. And our gathering is not on earth and it's on on a mountain or a temple. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. It is the city of the living God. It says there in verse 22, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. That is the heavenly reality to which we have been gathered. We together have been gathered into the universal, worldwide, eternal, true church of God. We've been gathered together into God's presence with all of the people that God has called to himself. And it is in that church that we have full and free access to God through Jesus' death on the cross. 
And so to stop listening to God's word about Jesus, well, to stop listening to that is to depart from that church, is to depart from that gathering. As we're warned in verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. You see, we share in this joint privilege of being gathered into God's eternal people. So keep listening to God. Keep listening to Jesus' word. Don't refuse Jesus who is speaking to you. Now, the original church, like I said before, that this letter was written to, it was probably a group of 10 or 20 people huddled together in, in the back room of the house of an early believer. Some of the people in that room had been in prison recently. Uh, they were the only followers of Jesus for miles around. Christianity was a brand new phenomenon. Uh, they had broken away from the Jewish world and they'd broken away from the Jewish world with its grand religious ceremonies and its impressive priests, priests and its glorious temple. And now they were gathered as this tiny group of unimpressive people in someone's back room. That was the early church. And their Jewish neighbours and their Jewish family and friends, they pointed back to that great encounter with God at Mount Sinai where they had received God's word. And they pointed back and they said, look how impressive this is. Look at where we have come from. And that little Hebrew church was tempted to shrink back, tempted to stop listening to Jesus, stop listening to his word and to go back to the old way. To the old way, that must have seemed so much more impressive. But the author here says, just wait a minute. Just take a look at what you have in Jesus. Have a look at where you stand to lose if you shrink back from full-blooded, Christ-centered Christianity. Remember, back then, they didn't even dare approach the mountain. Only Moses got close, and even then, he melted with fear. But now look at what Jesus' blood has accomplished for you, a better word, a finished sacrifice, a final and full payment for your sins so you can have direct access to God together with all of God's people, whether you're a group of two or ten or a hundred or a thousand, whether we're meeting as a couple over reading the Bible, uh, reading the Bible over a coffee, whether there's five or six of us in a flat, whether we're a family around the dinner table or ten or twelve in a midweek community group or a hundred or so in a congregation... Through Jesus, we are gathered into God's heavenly church. And so that group, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant, it is gathered with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Wherever you are, gathered with others, you are gathered with literally millions, possibly billions, from all through the ages, as we listen to God speak through his word as the blood of Jesus has drawn us into the presence of God. You see, when we gather and listen to Jesus' word, we're part of that great and glorious heavenly assembly brought together, given access to God by the finished work of Jesus. And we share in this joint privilege together. And so a church that makes it to the end, they know they have this privilege, so they keep listening to God's word. But there's also, they're also heading towards a day of uh, accountability, a, a day of corporate accountability, um, look with me at uh, verses, uh, tw verse 25 of chapter 12. Verse 25, See to him that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us 
from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but, on, but also the heavens. Uh, there's coming a day of corporate accountability. Uh, now that's not the day when Lauren and her auditors turn up to check the books of some big business on Lambton Quay. This is the day where God will shake the earth. Where everything will be shaken to its core. Everything will be stripped back and exposed Uh, We might feel like the earthquakes in our recent history or the terrorist attack or the global pandemic, we might think that these things have shaken the foundations of everything we once knew to be true. Uh, When we moved to New Zealand uh, seven years ago, we reassured our family, don't worry, we're only three hours away. If necessary, we can be home at the drop of a hat. How things have changed. How things have been thrown into chaos. But terrorist attacks and earthquakes and global pandemics, they will appear then little more than a speed bump in the road on the day of God's final judgment. And on that day, only what is centered at Mount Zion in the heavenly Jerusalem, only God's true eternal church, only that will stand and everything else will be gone. And if we have come to Jesus, if we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we have a word that will never fail. So you may be listening to this word in a living room with a few brothers and sisters. You may be listening to this word on your own, in your bedroom, still in your pyjamas. You may be part of this small congregation here at Torrey Street. Wherever you are, keep listening to this word about Jesus. Keep listening to this better word about the blood of Jesus. Keep listening to God's final word through Jesus. Because by this word, you can be made part of God's eternal people. His eternal people that can never be shaken. They can never be shaken. Even on that final day of judgment, they will stand in the presence of God. Uh, When we moved to Wellington in 2014 uh, to plant seed on a hill, we moved with only four people committed to, what, to the plant this new church. There are only four. There were two people in Wellington. Uh, one of them's here this weekend. Shona is back for a quick visit. Just a quick shout out if you want to see Shona lunch at Southern Cross today. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, there were two people in Wellington, Shona and Kelvin, who were committed to what we were doing. A bunch of others were interested to see what happened, but they were the ones who were like, yes, we're in. And there were two girls who came with us from Sydney to help. Now, we'd left a church of over a 1,000 people in Sydney, and we came to Wellington feeling very much on our own. Having left uh, such a big and established church, on the first Sunday when we met in our living room, uh, which I think is exactly seven years today, uh, I looked around and there was just a handful of us. And looking at this little group, I felt so alone and adrift. Everything we did felt so tenuous and fragile. It almost like it was almost like we were it was make like make believe. It almost felt like we were pretending to be a church, just pretending it was what we were doing or practicing. But Hebrews tells us that as we hear the living word of Jesus, as we hear the finished sacrifice on the cross, as we continue to trust and hold to Jesus. There may just be a handful of you, 
but we are part of the people that are gathered from all around the world and from all eternity, part of those whose names are written in heaven. And we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And hearing this word, continually hearing this word, is vital for a church that is going to make it to the end. A church that is going to stand on that last day is one of the marks of a church that makes it to the end. A church that continues to listen to Jesus. Verse 25 again. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Do not refuse him who speaks. That is Jesus. And hearing this word, it transforms us to worship. That's the second mark of a church that makes it to the end. If you're wondering in terms of timing, uh, things are going to move a little bit more quickly through the passage. Um, uh, The second mark of a church that makes it to the end is is a church that worships through Jesus. Uh, Have a look in uh, chapter 12, verse 28 there. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, given that we are part of this glorious heavenly assembly, given that we have heard Jesus' powerful word, what are we to do? We are to... Worship. We're to worship God. How how are we to worship God? Well, it says there we're to worship God acceptably. Uh, Now, the fact that it says acceptably there tells me that there is some worship that is not acceptable, and there is some that is. And so let me ask you a question. Uh, What do you expect to come after that statement? What do you expect to come in chapter 13? If you're the author, how would you continue Therefore, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. What do you expect comes next? Do you think we're going to get a list of songs we should sing? Do you think we're going to get told what we should do with our hands? Or what instruments we should play? Or what liturgy or sacraments we should use? Well, no. What do we get? Well, chapter 13, we get these simple, short statements that paint a picture of acceptable worship. And it's not an emotional-driven experience. It's not a transcendent experience of being in a large Gothic cathedral. It says things like, keep loving one another as brothers and sisters, verse 1. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, verse 2. Remember those in prison and those who are mistreated, verse 3. Keep the marriage bed pure, verse 4. Keep yourself free from the love of money, verse 5. Remember your leaders and follow them, verse 7. Pray, verse 18. That is acceptable worship for those who have, by the blood of Jesus, been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In other words, true and acceptable worship, it is earthy and it's every day. True and acceptable worship is earthy and everyday for the church that is listening to Jesus. So what does that worship look like? Looks like cooking a meal. Real worship looks like doing the dishes. Real worship looks like turning up early in the rain to set up for church. Real worship looks like standing side by side with persecuted Christians, with those who've been put into prison for following Jesus. 
Real worship looks like standing up for the Christian at work who's getting a hard time for their faith. Acceptable worship looks like not sleeping with your boyfriend or someone else's wife. That's real worship. It looks like being content with your paycheck and being aware that God is your helper and he is the one who will provide. Real worship is not being greedy. That's acceptable worship. It's, it's talking openly and unashamedly about Jesus whenever you have the opportunity. Acceptable worship is listening to and obeying God's word as it's taught by faithful leaders and encouraging them as they serve amongst us. That's what real and acceptable worship looks like. And the reason we can worship like this, the, 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 the reason why our worship is earthly and everyday is given there in the central verses of chapter 13. Have a look in chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. It's because the focus of our worship, it isn't a temple, it isn't a holy place, it isn't an ecstatic experience, but the focus of our worship is the humble, suffering servant. The one who died a shameful death so that we might be made holy. Verse 12. Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. No temple, no holy place, no religious experience, no religious duty, no special priest. Nothing can make us holy. Nothing can take us into the presence of God. Nothing can join us with God's heavenly assembly. Nothing can do that but the blood of Jesus. Simply Jesus. That is all because Jesus is greater. He is greater than, the, than any sacrifice. He is greater than any priest. He is greater than any temple. We've seen this over and over again as we've read through the book of Hebrews. No matter how shameful his death might be on the, on the cross, no matter how ordinary it might appear in contrast to the temple or the priests or the spectacular experiences and rituals we might see all around us, Jesus is greater than them all. And it's only through him we can offer acceptable worship. It's only because of him we can approach God any time of day or night. And so as we go out, we go out to worship earthy and everyday worship that is acceptable to God. It's a grueling race to keep following Jesus to the end. It's a difficult race, but boy, is it worth it. Uh, Shackleton promised his men, uh, his brave men, he promised them uh, honour and recognition. But that honour and recognition, it only lasted a moment. Uh, do you know when his expedition was finally rescued and brought back to uh, civilization. It was right in the middle of World War I, so no one really noticed or appreciated all that they had done. They didn't get the attention they thought they would. But for those who make it to the end of this race, who keep trusting and following Jesus all the way to the end, well, they are going to a glorious city. They are going to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. They are going to be part of all of God's people gathered in his presence forever. Eternal joy with God awaits them at the finish line. So let's make sure we are a community that listens to Jesus' word. And let's make sure that we are a people who worship God acceptably 
earthy and everyday. And we do it not on our own strength, but we do it equipped and empowered by Jesus. Jesus, who is the greatest. Now let's finish our time in Hebrews with these words in chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he is greater than any other sacrifice, that he offers a greater salvation. We thank you that he offers greater rest. We thank you that by his blood we can be brought into your people. And Lord, we pray that we might be a church that makes it to the end, that we might be a church that listens to your word, that's shaped by your word, that is constantly listening and following the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we hear you speak, we pray that you might transform us into a church that worships you acceptably, that worships you through your son, Jesus, that worships you every day. And we thank you that you promised to equip us for everything to do your will. We pray all this through Jesus. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.